701 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. This is not where I thought this song was going to go. I had you there, didn't I? Yeah. Not going to lie, they had us in the first half. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. Let's dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line. 650-650. One, if you want to win tickets to see WWE SmackDown uh, on January 5th, Send to what we learned in and put a ticket emoji on it. You'll be entered into the contest. But we got a lot of texts about uh, last night's game. Canucks beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 4-1 at Rogers Arena for their third consecutive victory. A lot of other questions about coaching changes, hirings, firings, etc. Lots to get into, so let's dive in. Uh, James texts in, how are you guys assessing uh, Big Z, uh, Zadorov? I guess he's Big Zed. Big not to not to be right. confused with uh, Chara because it's in Canada. That's true. Uh, since his, his arrival, James texts in: Is he meeting, exceeding, or under impressing? For me, I have noticed a few high danger up the middle passes and also failing to cover the low forward a few times. But hey, lots of good stuff too. And in a related story, someone else texted in unsigned, asking: With St. Louis potentially looking to rebuild, what do you think about Pareko? As a fit with the Canucks, assuming they could move Myers and replace salary with Pareko. I know he's older, but seems like we could get him at a low cost and fits in this two to three year window. That's from Cam from Kelowna. Sorry. So do you want to start with Zadorov or Pareko? Um, yeah, let's start with, uh, well, let's start with Pareko. I think you got to be real careful about Pareko. No, that's not going to happen. That contract yeah. is, is gross. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a nice player right now. Well, he's not. He's like, a nice player for right now. I don't think he. I think he's. I think that the fact that the Blues brought on all these guys like Krug and Justin Falk, and you know they lost valuable players like Petrangelo, and to a similar extent Jay Bomeister, who was just kind of like reliable for them, even if he was never a star when he played for the St. Louis Blues for them. Um, I think Pareko, like I, I think he's interesting because maybe. He's been asked to do too much in St. Louis. Yeah, like right? I, I think ever he would since be Petrangelo pretty- left, I think that would be that. That's not for me to answer. Like I can't give you a good question, a good answer about that. Yeah. But that would be up to the pro scouts to look at. I think he's an interesting player because when he was slotted into the right spot with St. Louis, he was a real good player. He plays twenty three minutes a night. He's a good. That's he'd too be, much for him. Maybe he'd be a good upgrade, but he's making six and a half million through twenty thirty. That's two zero three zero the year. It's too much. It's too long. I do wonder what St. Louis is going to do with with a few of these players, though. If they're going to just get to the end of the year and realize, like, yeah, we've got Robert Thomas and we've got Jordan Cairo, but we got to rebuild this team. Uh, as for Zadorov, I think he's been fine. Um, I think his skating looks good to me. Um, you know, he was out there. Him and Myers were out there uh, for that Tampa Bay goal that started the game. Um, but I don't think the Canucks forwards did a very good job slowing down uh, the Tampa Bay rush. And Tampa Bay has a lot of skill, right? Like they made up, they made a bunch of cross seam passes that Petey was out there. He didn't look very good uh, on that play. So I'm not gonna, 
you know, judge Zadorov based on that. Um, I think what he's done is the more important thing that he's done for the Canucks is even if he's just been fine, he's been better than whoever was going to replace him in the lineup. He's been an upgrade on, um, you know, Hiroshi. Yeah. Or if Mark Freeman is, is in there, he's better than them. Mm-hmm. And he allows the coaching staff to put, you know, it, it allows him to cut the coaching staff to cut minutes to other guys because you don't have to totally hide a defenseman that isn't ready to be in the NHL or shouldn't be in the NHL. So here's something to watch with Zadorov because Tockett in his um, morning ma- media availability uh, ahead of the Tampa Bay game was asked a lot about Zadorov because it had been the five-game mark and people wanted to get an update and everything. And he had some really interesting things to say. Like he, was, he said, I think there's another level to his game. I think there's even more he can do. He kind of referenced them in shutdown roles. Mm-hmm. I think Tockett is super enamored at at what Zadorov has because he's big and mean. And he can skate. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? There was there was one goal. I can't remember who scored the goal. But Zadorov was the screen in front of that. It might have been Hoaglander's goal. Yep. Uh, did Hoaglander, Hoaglander score against, was it Minnesota? The first goal against yeah, Minnesota? Yeah, Zadorov was part. Yeah, Zadorov was like, he yeah. went from one end of the ice all the way to be the screen for Hoaglander's shot. And Hoaglander just ended up kind of flinging it on net. And the goalie's like, uh, this giant Russian is fr- in front of me and I can't see. So, like, it's nice to have a guy that that's that big that can skate like that. And also, I think there's something to be said for how big Zadorov can hit. Right. Like, the Canucks have not really had many players in their well, lineup over the last few years that can really, really punish someone when they go into the corner. You know, like, Taka would never admit it, and he'd never say it out loud, but you know he's already thinking, like, if we make the playoffs. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get all the... Intensity hockey, ramps up. But the Hockey Night in Canada vignettes about Big Ben Sherratt and Big Ben Harper mm-hmm. and all the Big Bens out there, but these, all of a sudden it's like, wow, we can't get enough of these big physical defensemen. And Taka's like, I got Myers and I got Zadorov. Like, that's exactly what they're thinking here. So, I love answering... Text like this, and this comes from Bryce in Deep Cove. Okay. At their best so far, the Canucks are a playoff team. What would need to take place for them to raise it up another level and have success in the playoffs as well? Yeah, I, st- I mean, we've said this before. I still think they're at least one top six winger away, and I think they're one defenseman away from being a legit threat. Mm. Now it doesn't sound like much. Oh, that's two players. Yeah, but it's, it's just a lot. It's, it's just, a lot. It's just hard to it's it's hard to find those players. Um we talked earlier in the show about um Elias Pettersson and his current line mates and not to take anything away from Sam Lafferty who's been a great pickup or Ilya Mikheyev who's you know I thought I think has played pretty well um considering the injury that he's coming off of but Mikheyev is not a finisher. Um, and Sam Lafferty is he's a bottom six player in the NHL. Um, so if Kuzmenko can rediscover his scoring touch and rediscover his game and become trustworthy by Rick Tockett, that's great. If not, I think you got a problem. Um, hopefully Nils Hoaglander can continue in his role on the line with Miller and Besser and and keep growing, right? Like he needs to keep keep getting better. Right. Uh, you know, he's been great. He's been a great story, but he needs to keep getting better. I think you made a great point about um, PD's line mates. And even if you can say, like, hey, I'm not saying Lafferty has been bad or I'm not saying that McKayev has been bad, but 
if we're going to put Elias Pettersson into the same conversation with other superstars around the league, look at what those superstar centers have to play with because it's more than Sam Lafferty and Ilya Mikheyev. They have legit stars on their wings. It's like the NBA. You need a pair and then sometimes a trio. You can't just leave a guy superstar out there all alone. Yeah. I mean, like Joel Embiid. Um, Bryce and Deep Cove was that, that was yeah. the text, right? Uh, the answer to the question, Bryce, is the penalty kill. If they're going to be a legitimate weapon or a wagon or whatever terminology you want to use, then the penalty kill. stop using the wagon thing. It's starting to annoy yeah, me. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. It's, it's yeah, like the, it's, it's, it's this year's in a vacuum. Like, I remember when they, everyone started using in a vacuum. I'm like, okay. We Jason used it earlier this morning. Yeah, I think I, I used it incorrectly, actually. <sighs> we even have a wagon drop, which is weird, but we got it. <laughs> Yeah, the penalty kill, that was what was encouraging last night. I thought the penalty kill looked good, and and I really do wonder if we're going to see less of Miller and Petey out there because those were usually the first two guys over the boards. Now, Petey, because he's such a goon, actually took a penalty yesterday, so that's one of the reasons why his PK ice time was down. But I think at the end of the day, he only ended up spent like 25 seconds left. Isn't that his first penalty of the season? Yeah, it is. (laughs) He's drawn like 12. He's taken one. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, um, he, yeah. He should he should really get more consideration for the lady Bing if he wants it. Um, what are they gonna? You can't turn it down. No, no, no. If you want, if you, if <laughs> that would be hilarious. If he though. wants consideration yeah. for it, I, I don't know how many players actually. I mean, you know, you're, jo- you're joining no, a lo- you. you're joining a list of like pretty good players. And anyway, who cares? Um, once Pew Sewer is back, though, is he gonna get more PK time? Right, like he's he's a penalty killer. And I wonder, by the way, if we're gonna see Suter on Thursday against the Florida Panthers. Um, But you're absolutely right. The PK needs to be better. And I think it was encouraging last night um, that, and when we're talking about forwards here, the guys like Nils Amon and Dakota Joshua uh, played such a big role in keeping one of the best power plays in the league off the board. Someone just texted in. Zadorov is the Wish.com version of Dustin Bufflin. Come on, man. I know the Wish.com thing is funny, but I we we will probably never have a true appreciation for how good and how unique Dustin Bufflin was. There's one Bufflin, and there will never be another in the history of the NHL for a variety of reasons, good, bad, and otherwise. But Zadorov's like a nice, mm-hmm. interesting defenseman to watch. But like Bufflin was an absolute game changer. Yeah. In a lot of ways. So I while I respect Going into the archives there. Buffalo offensively brought a lot. And I noticed the door. Because he played forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> he played a different style of defense. But when he was in Atlanta, I remember. So we, back in the day, kids, back in the day, your NHL center ice, you used to have to subscribe to this weird little cable package. But it was great. You could watch all the different regional feeds. And this was back when the Atlanta Thrashers were in mm-hmm. the NHL. And they would just throw Dustin Bufflin out everywhere. Like he'd take a shift at forward, yeah. then he'd go play defense, then he'd take a twirl in net, then he'd go, and then no one cared. It was, and then the Atlanta local broadcast would be like, "What a fun player to watch! He just kind of does stuff out there." Gmaz texts in, "Why don't the Canucks take a flyer on signing Kessel? He's Let's a go. legit top six scorer, and you get him without giving anyone up. No, he's not a legit top six scorer anymore. No, he's not. No. He's too, he's old. There's a reason why he hasn't been signed. Yeah, and I then, think if, they, and then if, if someone would have done it, someone would have done yeah, it. Already. And then if you get him in the lineup, you're like, oh, it doesn't fit in our top six. Where's he going to go? Well, not the bottom six. And then you've just, uh, you know, like he's not he's not going to be able to hold down a spot." in the top six, <laughs> either scoring-wise or defensively, right? Like, it's just, it's not not going to happen. Kessel is, uh, he's been awesome in the NHL. He's been so much fun to cover. Uh, he's given he's given us so much. 
but I think his time is over in the NHL. Put it this way. If you were to be like, Elias, we've we've solved the issue of a goal-scoring winger for you to play with. And then Phil Kessel walks out from behind a curtain. You're like, Hello. and my work here is done. Like, that's not how that's going to play out. Kessel's maybe got some legs left, but you're taking a big risk at this point. Also, we are in December. Like, we're well into the NHL season. I can't even imagine the kind of like catch up game that he would have to Kessel, play. Kessel's 36 guys. Yeah. Like again, well, like he hasn't he hasn't been a scorer. Ancient. He was he scored 14 goals for Vegas and then barely played in the playoffs. Yep. When they won the Stanley Cup. Um you know, the season before he had 8 goals in 82 games for Arizona. It's over for him as an NHL player. Not his life. He can continue on in life, and I'm sure he's going to find something to do, but like, he's not coming to Vancouver to be a top-six scorer. It's been many years since he was the Phil Kessel that was leading the Penguins in goal scoring en route to a Stanley Cup. That was a long time ago. So also, you know what? Every time that you bring up... Uh, we had the Mike Sullivan debate yesterday, and, and I got I got hot-taked, which is fine. I own it. But you're That's like, well, hilarious. are they ever going to fire the guy that won two Stanley Cups? I keep forgetting. That was over a half a decade ago now. That's six years ago. Yeah. Like, it seems like it was, yeah, I think, large well, part of When you say half a decade, it makes it sound a lot longer. Yeah, it was like a, a fifth of a century. <laughs> a tenth of a century. Um, no, no, no. I, it's just interesting because I think that maybe he ha- we think his success has been more recent than it has. They've really struggled the, the last years, and they're struggling right now. I know they got a win yesterday against the uh, Coyotes, but... Yeah. This is a team that has got major issues, seems very inconsistent, has been given a lot of pieces to work with. He hasn't necessarily made them fit. I don't blame him entirely. Like, I think trying to figure out bringing Eric Carlson in is tough. Yeah. Right? I know he's an elite scorer and everything, but you've got a system and a style that you want to play. And he... he hey, I have a question. He commands I, a lot I, of oxygen. Yeah. So, um, who is the third right shot defenseman on the Penguins? And does he play like 30 seconds a night? I don't even know if they have one. <laughs> they might. I don't know who it would be, but uh, Can you imagine it, having that job, but behind Latang and Carlson, be like, uh, guys, I've got lots of energy. Yeah, I'm not going to get, get out there. I'm not going to get any power play time, am I? And they're like, no, no, Re- you are not. Rest is a weapon for yeah. me. Um, I'm ready to go. Okay, so I, I wanted to bring up the coaching thing because we had our third coaching dismissal in the National Hockey League yesterday this season. So we're now into December, and it's been Jay Woodcroft out in Edmonton, Dean Evison out in Minnesota, and last night Craig Berube out. In St. Louis. So I guess it begs the question now, uh, who's going to be the next? Because you know there's going to be another one. It might even be before the new year uh, gets rung in. And at most sports books, it's still DJ Smith, the clear favorite to be ousted. And he actually suffered a loss last night, he and the Ottawa Senators, in a game that I think drew Laddie's attention because of the penalty shot that Brady Kachuk took on Piotr Kochetkov. A little How did I do in the Brady. pronunciation there? A little Braden went hard into the boards. Didn't like what Kochetkov did. It was a great move. I haven't seen the flying poke check, the Dominic Hoshik style one. Probably illegal. Probably not allowed to take the feet out like that. So he, hey. did, he got a lot. Like I think he got to Kachuk before the puck. That doesn't really matter anymore, though. If you look at the tripping rule, it does, they took true. out the part where you reach the puck first. If you try, if you take out a guy's legs, it's a penalty. But hey, it stopped the puck, kept the puck out of the net. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to lose my goalie card over a, no, a no, diving no. poke check, so and, I'm, and I'm Brady, here for it. Brady Kachuk did proceed to openly cry about it. which is And the, then cried some more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the All-Star game. 
because uh, Adog was all excited yesterday. They were like, oh, they got a new format for the skills competition. Uh, it's a bit of a confusing format, though. Um, has anyone been able to, like, recap the formula here? Because well, the main thing is the winner. This is actually good. Uh, the winner gets a million bucks. Okay. So the players actually have incentive to try now. Right. Well, I think the, I think the biggest yeah that that is significant for sure. But I also think it's significant that it's only going to involve twelve skaters. Like they're not going to have everyone mm-hmm. participate. That was a big problem. And the NHL uh, Steve Mayer, who we we've had on the show uh, recently, he's kind of in charge of this sort of event and he said we want to find 12 guys who are going to be engaged who are the most skilled players in our league who are big personalities who are going to go really hard to win the title and they've got eight events and we're not going to go through all the the uh the events but the cheetos nhl accuracy yeah. shooting competition oh God, brought all, to you by cheetos yeah they're all sponsored ending um, with the obstacle course though is an interesting choice well like what so so well hold on before we get to that though <laughs> um so they're going to pick 12 players and they're obviously like McDavid will be part of it. And McDavid was part of um, planning this. Steve Mayer yeah. went and talked to him and they had a big sit down and, and the, went through some ideas. And, you know, the, the first part of that quote from Steve Mayer is the most important part. We want to find 12 guys who are going to be engaged. And we have learned time and time again that if the players don't buy in, it's a problem. There is a reason the NBA's in-season tournament worked. It's because the players cared about it. And at the end of the day, a guy like LeBron won it, and he was happy to win it. And when the players are into it, the fans are into it. And the biggest problem with the NHL All-Star game is you're watching it, and you're like, do these guys even want to be there? Are they having fun? Why is this so cringy? It's because the guys are... I don't know, hung over half of them because they have a huge nights when they go to these all-star events. And they're just like, they, they, I hate too cool for school, right? Like they, it seems like they're just like too cool to actually look like they're going to try at it. Right? Does yep. that make sense? Like, do, do you guys see the same thing? You're like, I get that vibe. it's almost like they, they don't want to try so hard that they'd look like tryhards, right? But But you're kind of like, yeah, but that's what you got to do. That's what people are going to see. They, they don't want to see you like playing in a beer league game here. They want to see you actually, you know, yeah. skating around. I'm like just a, not sure like, that like I, I get what you're saying. I'm just not sure that this is going to do. I it. think if you cut it down, well, I don't either. I don't know if it's going to do it, but I think it's a good idea to cut the number of players down. Although some people might complain. They're like, I want to see this guy on my team in the skills competition, but I think you're going to see all the big dogs, right? Like, McDavid will be part of it. It'll be interesting to see who participates for the Canucks. Well, it might be Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be interesting to see which one of the Canucks are. How many, like, what is the most you can have from one team? I, I, well, it's 20 fan bases that don't have a player in this competition now. Well, is that exactly, not a problem? Right? Yeah, well, it might be. The whole thing's it a might problem. Be, that's right? one of the things that's always annoyed me about it, how every team needs representation. I mean, I get the reason for it, obviously. But, like, do you remember when the, the fans that cheer for their teams? But do you remember when the Canucks sent Radom Verbata? Yeah, the All Star game, like he was, he was the guy, and everyone's just like, and here's Radom Verbata. Like it shouldn't be the best stuff. player from every team; it should be the best players in the league. If that means one team isn't represented and one yeah. team is yeah. overrepresented, and they go back and forth well, on this, right? Yeah, no, of course, I get the reason. But, for, again, but I remember, against, but but I remember as a little kid, and I've told this story before. As a little kid, I was like, wow, like Tony Tanti is out there with Wayne Gretzky. 
You know, it does matter. Yeah, but I to think I think that, kids. but I think that's changed. Yeah, I but think, he earned it then. That rule wasn't in place. That was back in the day when it was just the best players went. No, it wasn't. Everyone needed. Like this is this is way back. This is way back. Every every team had a player. This is in the eighties. But there was a period. Player. I because I remember twenty one teams. Everybody I remember growing up. Yeah. I remember growing up in, in the Ulster games. You grew, I grew up, up, but as you grew a kid. up like ten years ago. Yeah, it's true. But I, in the nineties, though, it wasn't like and even the early two thousands. It wasn't like that. It was just the best players went. And so some guys had over-representation. Some teams had like three, four players there. But it was just whatever. It was just whoever was the best was the one that was there. I like this from, from Austin and Langley. McDavid is just going to pick all the weird training drills he has to win. Uh, so he, he, he has to win a million bucks just so he can buy another heated driveway. Yeah, I, I mean, the NHL will want McDavid <laughs> to win this thing, right? Uh, like, was, do, was, do you think I, McDavid— Okay, hold on. I was laughing at the idea— of Steve Mayer being like, we want 12 big personalities. The biggest of them, Connor McDavid. Yeah, but you want to see him participate in these drills. You want to see McDavid do it. I mean, my, here's Bedard the, would be cool, too. One biggest, the one big concern would be that a guy gets hurt doing it. Mm-hmm. If it's the 12 biggest stars, I mean, what's the upshot? Connor McDavid wins a million dollars for doing a bunch of like elaborate competitions. And we've got content for a week. What you should be doing here is squid gaming this thing. You should have a bunch of guys that are barely on the fringes of a professional career. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but a you, non-star game. Yeah. And you have, don't like, want to do it involve in like serious injuries though. Like, but that's the thing. If it's if it's a guy, game? if it's a tweener, yeah. a guy that's you know, and he's and he's fighting tooth and nail. Like a million bucks means a lot to him. This is your funniest, but also dumbest idea. <laughs> this is a great idea. Like, I want it to be like the opening scene from Indiana Jones. Like I want it to be Raiders of the Lost Ark in there. There's I want real to be stakes a involved. Big giant right? ball chasing guys down the ice. There's got to be flames involved yeah. on some level. Exactly. Some poison, poisonous poison snake. darts and stuff. We yeah. talk about this every year. I'm not going to watch it. Unless I'm flipping by the channels, like it's not gonna, it's not going to engage me. Speaking uh, of too cool for school, oh. no, but like it's, it, but but <laughs> I, I, I ju- it just doesn't interest me. That's all. But I hope it interests. You sound like an NHL player. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> at the All Star, that's game. a problem, right? Like, like I, I for for sports, like I don't want to see an exhibition. The most, the most, uh, the most interesting thing for me about sports is the intensity of the games and when you know guys really want to win. Like that's that's true competition. Well, maybe right? that million bucks will help. Maybe I mean they said they 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 made a million dollars available when the they started the three on three and it did help for like a year and then guys were like eh whatever. Let me uh, let me just read this end part here. The top eight point earners of the twelve players will advance to the seventh event of the twenty twenty four All Star Skills, um, where each player will choose which goalie they shoot against. Yeah. Following the Honda NHL shootout, the top six point earners will advance to the eighth and final event, the NHL obstacle course, where yeah. the points are then doubled. Yeah. The obstacle course, of course, being a fight to the death with snake bits <laughs> and stuff like that. What yeah. is the obstacle course though? They like, haven't for said real. they haven't said yet. This is the thing. So hopefully it's something cool. There's got to be a flip through a burning like hoop American or Gladiators or something. Like is that where we're going? Like I mean, it could be cool. It could be lame, but it could be cool. Can you imagine if like you have to jump through a hoop and McDavid jumps through a hoop, separates his shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> McDavid. There's Andre Vasilevsky. Like, also, you didn't win the million bucks. Andre Vasilevsky on a. Did perch? I at least yeah. win the million? You no. didn't. Uh, <laughs> shooting guys with tennis balls as they roll across, just like American Gladiators. Okay. I, I I hope it works. I hope it's fun, um, and I hope people like it. But 
you know, like again, this isn't. We're going to talk about it, but um, I don't know. It's 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 not for me. But you know, I I'm I'm okay. Like it needs to be for the kids. At the very least, you have the watch. players drafting each other. Like at the very least, because that is there's lots of humor that could be mine. Well, yeah. you know hopefully, what? Picking yeah. what goalie you get to get to shoot against will be interesting. I will admit that it is interesting. That's yeah. a good wrinkle, right? Because you I mean, unless you well, the funny part would be like imagine if Demko's in there and it's. Pedersen and Pedersen's like I'm gonna choose Demko and then Demko just lets him score mm-hmm. right because he's like you can you can win this whole competition buddy he just skates away from the net like that's there's an interesting wrinkle there for sure uh, Mike Vorkanoff is going to join us next from the Athletic he covers the NBA from a business perspective and um, he recently wrote an article just updating everyone on the current state of NBA expansion and where it could go. Vancouver did get mentioned in this article, so we're going to talk to Mike about that and also Seattle's chances of getting an NBA team back, Vegas's team, uh, Vegas's chance of getting an NBA team, and whether or not LeBron James could be part of that ownership group, and whether or not some of this foreign money, this oil money that we've seen roll into soccer and golf could be coming to the NBA soon. You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Uh, the Athletics National NBA reporter Mike Vorkanoff is going to join us in just a moment here in hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Very happy to have our next guest back on the program. As mentioned, he is a national NBA reporter for The Athletic. Mike Vorkanoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Mike. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. Uh, You know, Vancouver is mostly a hockey city. We're talking about the Canucks a lot uh, as they're doing a little bit better this season than the past few, but there's still uh, a large segment of our listenership that wonders if we're going to get an NBA team back. And I was reading your article um, about NBA expansion, asking the question, is the league inching towards expansion? And I thought we'd get you on the show just to get a little bit of an update on where things stand. So where do things stand when it comes to NBA expansion? Well, the most exciting update that I can give is that right now there is no update. Uh, But, (laughs) uh, you know, the league set out a timeline that it wants to get through a new CBA and its new media rights before it goes and moves on to this whole expansion business. And so they signed their CBA. They're agreed to a new CBA in April. And media rights deals should uh, likely get done, probably, I would assume, by the end of the summer, uh, 2024. And at that point, 
uh, everyone starts wondering about expansion and where they go next. So, I mean, it might, you know, we, we're likely just around the corner from um, figuring out what the NBA's next steps will be with all this. So the NBA has 30 teams compared to the NHL, which has 32 and may have a few more soon. Um, it's easy enough to just say, oh, Seattle and Vegas are going to get those next teams and then they'll be up to 32 and that'll be it. Could it be as simple as that? Well, it's probably a little bit more complicated. I mean, I would think that Seattle and Vegas are the two favorites, uh, but I don't think it's a fait accompli. You know, I think that the league is interested in Mexico City. Uh, Adam Silver himself mentioned that Vancouver and uh, I believe Montreal have reached out and showed interest, and I doubt he didn't do that uh, for a reason. It's probably not just a throwaway line. Um, And, you know, maybe 32 is just the first step. It's hard to say for sure. They haven't expanded in roughly 20 years. Um, And as the economics of basketball change a little bit, uh, it'll be interesting to see just how big they eventually want to get and how much, how many teams uh, the talent supports too. And that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just about diluting the economics. It's also making sure that the basketball is worth watching. What do you think a price tag for an NBA expansion team is right now? Well, uh, based on the people I talked to, I think the, the, it would start somewhere around $4 billion. And again, depending on the, on the market and when this all happens, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes over $5 billion, you know, for a team in Vegas or for a team in, in Seattle. That's kind of just where things are trending right now. Um, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of really wealthy people. And uh, there's only, well, right now, 30 to maybe 32 NBA teams available. And so if you want one, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for it. So the Vancouver Canucks and their arena in which they play in Rogers Arena are owned by the Aquilini family. They're mostly real estate developers here in Vancouver. They are a very rich family, but I don't know if they're $5 billion for an NBA team rich. And I don't know if any prospective NBA owner is going to bring a team to Vancouver and then be tenants in an arena. So how might it happen for Vancouver if it does? Well, I think in terms of like affording a $5 billion team, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that you have to pay all $5 billion yourself. Uh, The NBA does allow, you know, minority partnership, minority owners uh, to get into the fray as well. They recently let in institutional funds, so private equity firms, uh, sovereign wealth funds. You could cobble together a bid with, you know, one of those and some other minority owners and just kind of get it done, especially if you can still get the top price out there. Um, but if you could match that, you know, I think the arena question is interesting. The NBA would probably want a state-of-the-art arena. You own know, Vegas. One is being built right now. That would be NBA ready when it's done in roughly 2026. Uh, Seattle had to redo key arena, essentially, from what I understand, the ground up and, and built it into climate pledge arena. And that should be NBA ready. But uh, in Seattle, you know, any if a team comes there and plays in Climate Pledge, they'll be a tenant. So I think it also depends on just what the economics uh, of that, you know, being a renter looks like. You know, it could be a situation where it's a lot easier to be a tenant right away instead of having to put out $5 billion for a team and then potentially have to privately fund the new arena, which is going for, you know, I don't know, another billion dollars, billion and a half, depending right. where you're building this thing and yeah. and how nice you want it to be. Um, the the topic of sovereign wealth funds and, and the private equity funds, more so on so- sovereign wealth funds because 
they've totally upended the world of soccer and the world of golf. Um, could you see that? Could you see, you know, uh, the PIF, uh, the Saudi Arabian Wealth Fund, could you see that getting involved in the NBA to the point where it's like the majority owners? Or are they still going to be um, kind of more on the minority side? That's the really uh, interesting question that's hard to answer right now. Uh, You know, this summer, uh, Adam Silver said that he doesn't think as of right now uh, a sovereign wealth fund would be able to be the majority owner uh, to keep it to a minority ownership stake, which right now is capped at 20% uh, per, you know, private equity fund or or sovereign wealth fund. But uh, the hard question that comes up with these valuations and if they keep rising and keep going up even past $5 billion is how many wealthy people are there who can afford to buy one? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like at some point you run out of people who can write that check. And so the natural conclusion then is if there's not enough people, where do you move to next? And so this is probably something uh, that the NBA might have to grapple with in the future, right? We saw it happen already in England. We've seen it happen uh, with golf, with the Live Golf uh, PGA Tour merger or wherever that stands right now. <laughs> and, and it is. might be something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, we'll we'll have to see how the NBA and other sports leagues grapple with this in the future because if you want to keep making your teams more valuable, someone has to pay that price, right? Uh, so who's going to pay that price? Uh, we're chatting with Mike Vorkanoff, NBA uh, business reporter for the athletic um mike are there any problem spots in the nba in terms of markets that might relocate i mean a few years ago uh people in seattle and vancouver were watching the sacramento kings but they figured it out they got a new arena built are there any problem areas in the nba uh you know i there's obviously some markets that are not doing as great as possible but you know I think the problem with that is, does the NBA have the bandwidth uh, to do another relocation? You know, the last team that relocated uh, the Seattle Supersonics, they moved to Oklahoma City. That remains kind of a a trouble spot for the league, right? People still are kind of either if you're in Seattle, you're in sense as to that happening. Or if you're not in Seattle, you're just kind of confused why the NBA would leave a market like Seattle for a small market like Oklahoma City. And it seems like it would be a lot easier to just, expand to new cities, create new markets, um, get that expansion fee, then it would be to change markets and have someone leave uh, a city the way that, you know, the the Hornets did um, or the way that the Sonics did um, and deal with all the issues that are there um, instead of just trying to build something new altogether. Uh, I want to turn our attention to the in-season tournament because it was, look, Mike, when it was launched, I had major skepticism that this thing was going to work. It seemed kind of hokey. I didn't really understand how it was going to work. Apparently, a bunch of the players didn't understand it either. But at the end of the day, you get the Lakers winning it in Vegas. I think the viewership on it was $4.5 million. The players seemed engaged. Is it fair to say that the NBA had a success on its hands with the in-season tournament? I think it's fair to say season one was successful for sure. Um, the players cared, right? The ratings were there. They were up. Uh, I'm kind of holding off on saying it's a success until I see what this looks like down the line. I think uh, an interesting way to determine success might be what kind of uh, media rights package it could be sold off for. The NBA has to monetize this thing, right? And that would be the cleanest way to do it. Uh, so I think it, it started off pretty well in season one. The ratings are there. We also want to see if it sustains too. 
Uh, that's the other part of it is, will people care as much in season two when it's less of a novelty? Uh, will, will they change the chords, which is one of the complaints that I've heard yeah. about a lot from fans. Um, I think people go either way on those. I don't, I don't know. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm saying it's a little too early to say it's a, it's a full-on success, but I think the beginning has been good for the league and probably what they were hoping for. Are there any things that you think should change for next season's tournament? I think uh, they should probably create some kind of, I think to me the biggest thing is creating some kind of team stakes for it, whether that's something to do with the, the playoffs, um, whether that's something to do with potential draft picks for the team that wins it. I think that would create more interest from fans, more buy-in from fans too. I think right now there's still kind of a nebulous value to winning the in-season tournament. You know, the players get their prize pools, but what do you get if you're someone who roots for the Los Angeles Lakers, right? I understand they're raising a banner, but um, I'm not quite sure, again, what what that banner means. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see uh, if the NBA can create a way for fans to care more about what winning the in-season tournament uh, means to them. And uh, that'd be the number one thing I work on. It's a hard question to answer, too, because you can't, you can't give up too much for the team that wins, and you want to have uh, winning the in-season tournament mean something on its own, not just as a, a way to gain this new the new prize at the end of it. So there's been a bunch of arena news uh, in the NBA. The Wizards sound like they're headed to Northern Virginia along with the Washington Capitals. Uh, I think the Oklahoma City Thunder, the voters there approved the funds for a new arena recently. Um, And Salt Lake might get a new new arena soon, which might come hand-in-hand with an NHL team. Um, Are there... Are there arenas that obviously need a replacement in the NBA? Are there arenas I need? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm not as uh, heavily into the arena market. I think it's interesting that you see teams like uh, the Thunder and, and possibly the Wizards, depending on how all this shakes out, get public funding, which kind of had been going out of vogue a little bit. Um, but I, I'm sure any arena that's over 20 years old now uh, the franchise probably feels like they could do with a lot of renovations or even a new arena. That seems to be for whatever reason, the lifespan now of these arenas that you, you're around 20 years. It's crazy. And everyone, yeah. yeah. And everyone feels like it's time for a change. Yeah. Well, I think Boston garden was around for a hundred years and, and was falling <laughs> apart by the time they finally replaced that. Um, one final question, Mike, is there any update on this Raptors Knicks lawsuit and I know the Raptors would prefer this not to be playing out in the actual courts. I'm sure they would rather the NBA just hanging on or, or handling it. But uh, what is the update from both sides of this Raptors-Knicks lawsuit? Well, it continues to sit around in uh, U.S. federal court. So uh, that's kind of where it stands. The, the Raptors were the latest to make a filing. That was on late Monday night. They continue to push... Uh, for the federal court to dismiss it and let the NBA handle it, let Adam Silver be the arbitrator uh, in chief on that one to make the decision how to solve that dispute. The Knicks want to keep it in federal court and let this go to a judge and to a potentially, you know, trial and and all of that. Uh, So we'll see. We're, we're waiting on the next determination from the judge who's overseeing the case. And unless there's some kind of uh, unexpected, you know, agreement between the two teams to find a settlement, which I don't know, it seems hard pressed at this moment. Um, We're going to just watch this thing play out through the federal court system. Mike, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks, Mike. Mike Vorkanoff from The Athletic, NBA national reporter here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So I think the most interesting thing about um, the article that Mike wrote was how 
Because I think this is the only way that the NBA comes to Vancouver if it's Aquilini owned. They would have to partner with Deep Pockets, right? Asking, uh, I know, they're, I know they're wealthy. They've got you know more money than us, right? But five billion dollars is is a lot of money to come up. If that's the expansion fee, even if it's four billion dollars, that's a lot of money to come up with. So. Could there be a local business owner, and maybe it's the Aquilini family, that teams up with some sort of fund that's got billions of dollars? I don't know if it would be a sovereign wealth fund or a private equity fund, or maybe there's a partnership with an indigenous group here in BC that they could partner up with and bring, um, bring the NBA to Vancouver. I still see it as a real long shot. I think they're. I still see it as a real long best. shot, just because like I mean, there are questions on. Even if you say the market is ready for it, there are questions on who's going to own the team and where it's going to play, and in what capacity is it going to be control of the arena or is it going to be a tenant in the arena? Look, I know I'm dropping the royal look here. Look, I know that people want this to happen, but we got to start living in reality here. Let's remove the money part of it for a second. Okay. Let's remove the $5 billion. Yeah. The NBA's got 30 teams. They have not expanded in 20 years. So it's taken them 20 years to just consider the idea of going from 30 to 32. Let's make no mistake. Teams 31 and 32 are going to be Seattle and Vegas. I know Mike kind of mm-hmm. shielded there. He's like, well, it's not fait accompli. Well, it's about as close to fait accompli as you can be. They're ready to go. They've got everything that they want. The NBA wants to be back in Seattle and it wants to be in Vegas. There's a reason they put the final of the in-season tournament yeah. in. They want to be there. Do you think LeBron's going to be the owner of the Vegas team or at least the, the face of that ownership group? Potentially, right? Yeah. So there, all of a sudden, you're saying they're going to end a 20-year drought of no expansion. They're, they already know where they're going to go. How much longer it'll take to go from 32 to 33 or 34? Who knows? But mm-hmm. it could be another two decades. I would still say after that, Vancouver's not even at the front because the next team, logical one for me is Mexico City. Yeah. Because the NBA wants to be in Mexico. They've got a thriving G League team down there. They know that that's a market that they want to infiltrate. So then you're talking, well, after that, where does Vancouver fall in? Maybe, maybe they're fourth in the pecking order, fourth at the trough. Right. But even at that point, you're looking at, Decades and decades and decades. Sorry, sort of an aside, but as somebody that doesn't really follow a ton of NBA, why why has it taken twenty years for them to uh, think about expanding? Like, They've been why, methodical it's a, about it. It's a good question. Though. They've been why, methodical because, like, you see leagues, yeah. like most leagues, like expansion happens pretty regularly. Yeah, we want our money. We want it now. I think the NBA just wanted to wait. Look, one of the biggest get their media rights fees up and then get. Four billion dollars for an expansion. Also, there's no other league that's had the rapid. That's a good question. It is a good question. I'll tell you why. And it might be talent. Might be talent. But the no, the answer is in the the commissioner change when they came over. One of the biggest flaws of the David Stern era was Vancouver. It's considered Mm -hmm. one of the biggest black marks on his time as commissioner. That was a debacle. So Silver came in, and he's been very, very methodical and very patient about if we're going to move into these markets then it's got to be like a slam dunk. I hate using slam dunk in basketball parlance, <laughs> but it's got to be like there's no question that this is going to work. Because even the Vancouver story isn't really over yet because um, Memphis hasn't exactly been a resounding success for the league. Right. 
it's been erratic, to put it mildly. But the, the NBA yes. in in David Stern's tenure basically went from the number four big four sport to number two. Sure, they haven't really needed the influx of the profits from expansion because. They've done it themselves, right? Well, they, the game grew globally. Yeah. So so thoroughly under Stern, right? Well, it became a global phenomenon. Yeah, but need right? is need is I mean, like rich people want to get richer. But right? let's not kid you ourselves know? here. Like that's yeah. that's the main reason for expansion is mm. the money in the pocket. And well, they've they only got thirty te- felt They've only the got thirty teams, you know. All the other leagues have thirty two. Mm-hmm. Um and thirty two is a nice number because you can have four divisions of eight teams yeah. or eight divisions of four teams. It's it's a it's a nice round number. Um yeah, I, I I think they're gonna go to I think they're gonna go to Vegas and I think they're gonna go to Seattle. Although I think that arena situation is interesting because unless it it is the I think it's the Oakwood Group, mm-hmm. unless they're the owners of the team, then I guess they will be tenants in that arena. In Lemon Pledge. In Lemon Pledge. Uh, I do want to circle back to a conversation that we were going to try and have earlier. Kind of got off track, but we want to talk hockey. We want to talk NHL. You mentioned earlier in the show that you think Vancouver Canucks head coach Rick Tockett is the clear favorite, the clear favorite to win the Jack Adams this year for NHL Coach of the Year. I wouldn't say clear, but he's definitely the favorite. I think he's the heavy favorite right now. I think if you're going to, well, I mean, there's a lot of he's season got a, to be he's played. Got a, he's got a great story to tell. There's no there's no team in the NHL and text in if you if you disagree with this that was putting more um significance on the coaching staff to turn things around than the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. No team out there. The Canucks built their marketing campaign around structure. This is true. And everything that this coaching staff has done has made the management group look good because they've been like, all right, with the, every every Patrick Alvin's every answer is deflects back to crediting the coaching staff, which in turn makes the management look good because remember how much heat they took for not liking how Bruce Boudreaux went about his business. Yep. Right. Yep. And it was like you're being unfair to this guy. He's a great coach. The players love him. The fans love him. And they were still and they took a lot a big PR hit and they said yeah. No, right? Boudreaux was the right guy to turn the team around when they needed it, but he was not the right long-term option to turn this team into a winning team. They thought they needed someone else. They brought in Rick Tockett, who they had a previous relationship with. And is there a fan out there? Is there a Canucks fan out there that doesn't think Rick Tockett has done a great job? No, I think it's, I mean, I'm sure you can find a hater, but it's pretty universal. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we mentioned this because at the sports books now, Tockett's the favorite at every single one of them. He's moved into that, and rightfully so. It's interesting because uh, for a while, Peter Laviolette was making a charge, but I think his case is going to be weakened by the, the fact that he had a really good team. Like they were a 100 point playoff bound team before Peter Laviolette got there. It's not like he turned them around. Yeah. They just got off to an amazing start. They've cooled down as of late, by the way. Uh, Todd McClellan is in that conversation because of the job that he's done in LA. Once LA finally starts playing some hockey games, they're like the Ottawa Senators of the West. Once they finally start playing some games, uh, I think we'll get a real sense of how dominant they are. They'll either come back to the pack a little bit or they'll continue at like an 800 points percentage. Interesting one. Derek Lalonde in Detroit. Because generally speaking, the Jack Adams Award kind of doubles as the best turnaround award. Mm-hmm. Like that's usually what happens, right? 
Yeah. This is a bad team. And then a coach makes them a good team, and they get either get close to the playoffs or get in the playoffs, he gets coach of the year. So with this lengthy drought that the Detroit Red Wings are on playoff-wise, if Lalonde's able to turn it around, I think he might get the nod what as well. What about Torts in Philly? I'm surprised he's not even on this list. I know, and I was very surprised by that because I think Torts has done an unbelievable job in Philly. Uh, they were talking about him on the Jeff Merrick show a few days ago, and it was actually funny because they said, look, if, if you're trying to do a rebuild – you have to really take into consideration what Torts brings because if you're looking to bottom out mm-hmm. and finish dead last, <laughs> yeah. do not hire, do not hire Torts. Yeah. He's going to grind out results where you're like, okay, yeah. we're winning, which is good for culture, but it's bad for getting a high draft pick. But what he's done this year is quite honestly take some really middling players and mm-hmm. guys that I thought were either on the way out of Philadelphia or didn't have bright NHL prospects and make them play really well. Like they said, Travis Sanheim has been like a totally new player in Philadelphia. And uh, Forrester has turned into like a bonafide top six forward. So that's the torts effect. Yeah. I just don't know if it's what they want as an organization. Like I'm sure that they want torts to come in and what's the the new shade of orange or whatever stupid slogan they got. There. <laughs> I can't remember. Things are different this year. Our orange is 20% more orange, right? But um, it's going to be at the expense of a high draft pick. Because they're on the fringes of making the playoffs right now in Philadelphia. Yeah. I still think Tockett is the Tockett's heavy, the favorite. favorite in all and he this. deserves there's, it. There's he's a, done a really there's good There's a job. lot of the season to go, but I think he's the favorite right now, and, and, and deservedly so. Um, okay, so it's a little bit different today on the Halford and Bruff Show. Ian Cole, Canucks defenseman, is going to join us at 8.30. That's normally when we do what we learns. So we're going to do all the what we learns coming up next. Uh, so send in your what we learns. We've got a few what we learns, and we will read them on the other side of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.